All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Glad you're here. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Uh, Everybody still have all their fingers? All right, so no one blew them off in a firecracker accident over the weekend? I'd say we're winning. Um, Hey, we've got all kinds of family stuff happening here lately. Uh, This morning during first service, we had baby Isla here for with us for the very first time Dusty and Emily's brand new baby she's not here now but she was here first service and she's she's like as big as a trisket I think you could put her on a trisket she would fit perfectly uh, and then last night Adrian Butler and Stephen Gilbert they were married in beautiful Berea Kentucky and uh, it was quite an event Alex Pepper got a little out of hand um, we had to settle him down that's not true no one got out of hand. In fact, it was quite subdued. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to start a new series here at the Vineyard. That's just funny to me. We're going to start a new series here at the Vineyard. It's called Visionary Leadership. We're going to look at the life of Moses. Probably going to spend about six weeks on this. And I'm really, really excited about this series. Um, the reason that we're doing this series, well, we're doing it for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons we're doing it is because our church is just filled with so many, so many leaders. Now, the truth is, everybody's church is full of leaders. It's just that most people don't know it. Most people don't know it. And so they're not awake to it. They're not awake to the things that God's gifted them in. And they're not awake to uh, the areas that God is inviting them in to partner with Him to do a new thing. And because they're unaware, you can't catalyze. Like, you can't, you can't lay hold of something that you're unaware of. And it's one of the unique things here. There's probably a disproportionate amount of people, given the size of our church, um, who are actually beginning to wake up to the fact that God has invited them into something. And rather than just passively letting life happen, they're beginning to co-create with God to do something new. So that's one of the main reasons we're doing it. This, this church, we're just sort of filled with leaders. And it's one of my favorite things about this church. Um, I know a lot of us probably identify with that. But then some of us in the room probably also don't feel like a leader. And maybe you just feel like completely stuck. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that everybody in the room is a leader at a certain level. Everyone is a leader. And the reason that everyone's a leader at a certain level is because everybody in the room is called to self-govern their lives. Everybody is first called to lead yourself. Uh, The Bible calls it, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. Now, hidden inside of self-control, even as a fruit of the Spirit, the concept of self-control is this, that you and I have more options available to us than we can take hold of. Everybody in the room has more options for their life than you can actually live out. Everybody has more options in your life. And we're not even talking about good and bad here. We're talking about good and good, right? Let's just get out of the concept of self-control simply being good and bad. There's an aspect of self-control which speaks to good and bad, but there's also an an aspect of self-control which speaks to good and good. Now, which one one is it? Yes. Well, it can't be both. So, in in order to basically be the person God's called you to be, to live out the life He's called you to live, to give fullest expression to the gifts and the invitations that He's given you, Everybody in the room is called to exercise self-control, to actually know yourself, know the Lord, know what He's calling you into, and then being able to make choices of yes and no based upon a limited amount of responses on my end because I'm a limited being and an infinite number of possibilities. Everybody's a leader. 
Secondly, secondly, everybody in the room has been given influence. You may not feel like a leader, but every person in the room has been given a measure of influence. Some people in the room have been given a little bit of influence, and then other people in the room have been given a lot of influence. But everybody's been given some influence. What the people with very little influence don't realize about the people who have a lot of influence is that there was a day when the people with a lot of influence just had a little bit, but they farmed it. In the kingdom of heaven, everything grows. So everybody in here has been given a measure of influence, and that's what leadership is. Leadership is essentially influence. But one of the things that we fail to recognize is that influence is always contextual. It's always contextual. And this is so important to understand the context into which God is giving you influence. If you don't understand the context which God has given you influence, you'll never catalyze the leadership in your life. Right? I mean, this is such a huge deal. This is one of the reasons why most Christians are never able to walk into the area that God is calling them and leading them. Because a lot of times, we just fail to recognize that the container that He's putting us into, or has placed us in, and where He's given us some influence... Uh, the other reason why we fail to, to uh, catalyze the leadership that God gives us is because oftentimes uh, we maybe become a little bit awake to the area or the context that God gives us influence and we just don't like it. We just don't like it. Like it feels like a bummer. It's like I was hoping for this other area of influence and I've got this area and I was hoping for this area. Well, you probably never go there unless you get it here. A lot of leadership is just realizing that we've been given influence and becoming awake and aware to the places where God has given us that influence. Um, other people in the room might be thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really a leader. We'll just get specific here for a moment. I'm not really a leader. You know, I'm, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Well, that's hogwash. Stay-at-home moms have a tremendous amount of influence. A tremendous amount of influence. Homes are the way they are because of moms. That's just all there is to it. Furthermore, stay-at-home moms have multi-generational influence. Then we don't oftentimes think of it that way because we think, well, it's just this small, insignificant, like little thing, and no one cares about it, except your kids. <laughs> and and a lot of us in the room have still not overcome the crazy parents and the wounds that were given to us at home because they thought that that was not a big deal. I mean, amazing things happen at home. There's all kinds of leadership and influence that's been given. And moms have multi-generational influence. There's, there's the possibility to completely change your family line for 10 generations based upon stupid and seemingly insignificant decisions you make today about this or that at home on Monday or Tuesday morning. It's crazy. It's multi-generational influence. You also might be thinking this morning, well, I'm not a leader. I'm an introvert. I'm single, no one sees me, and I work at a factory doing a mindless, repetitive job. My guess is that there's someone in here who's single, who's an introvert, that no one sees, and who works a mindless job at a repetitive factory. Well, I've got a question for you. What would happen if you stopped doing your job? It's not a true question. What happens if you stop doing your repetitive job? Someone will notice. You will get fired. And if someone notices, you're a leader. You have influence over what's happening there. What, what, what you may not have is you may not have upfront or on top influence. You may have back and bottom influence. 
But most of the amazing stuff I've seen that happens in the kingdom of heaven happens at the back and on the bottom. One of the things that we're going to try to get out of in the next six weeks is we're going to try to get out of this mindset that all leadership is up front and on top. Listen, up front and on top is a kind of leadership, but it's just one kind of influence in a myriad of forms of leadership. Lots of leadership happens at the back and on the bottom. And how we handle at the back and on the bottom directly affects whether or not we'll ever go to the front and on the top. By the way, no one who's at the front and on the top, no one in those positions ever just appeared there. No one. Not even, not even people we think do. Something was stewarded and something was handled. So if you stop doing your job, somebody's going to notice. And if somebody notices, it's because you do have influence over what's happening there. Now, I've said all that for this reason. I've said it because I believe that our city is crying out for visionaries. I believe that this city is crying out for visionaries. In fact, Campbellsville has changed so much in the last five years. So many things have changed. And the reason that so many things have changed in Campbellsville in the last five years is because a handful, not a majority, a minority. And not just a minority, but like a profound minority. Like you could count them on two hands. A handful of men and women became visionaries about our community. A few people stopped believing the lie that Campbellsville was a hopeless case. See, five years ago, Main Street was barren. There was nothing there. Main Street is probably two-thirds of the way full. And the reason Main Street is two-thirds of the way through is full is because a handful, not a majority. We've got to get rid of this democratic idea that we need a majority for everything. You don't. A minority. A minority, a handful of people decided that Campbellsville was not a hopeless case and things changed. People got some vision. Now I want to read you one piece of scripture this morning. This is out of Isaiah 61. And we're going to read one verse further than is normally read. But we'll start there at the beginning in verse 1. It says this, The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because He's anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God has sent me to announce the year of His grace, the celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn. To care for the needs of all those who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. You should underline the word languid. That'll come in handy one day. It's a five and a half dollar word. You should rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display His glory. And normally that's where everyone stops. But here's what the Lord's saying to us these days. They'll rebuild the old ruins. They'll raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities. They'll take the rubble left behind and make it new. That's awesome. That's really great. See, part of the Spirit's work is to rebuild cities. And this is one of the things that's least understood in the church. Part of the church's job, part of the the manifestation of the Spirit the church is supposed to have in the public life is to rebuild cities. We all know that it's the Spirit's work to preach good news to the poor. We also know that it's the Spirit's work to heal the brokenhearted and to free captives, to pardon prisoners, to announce God's grace and to comfort those who mourn, to hand out roses for ashes, joy for mourning, and praise for heaviness. But all of this actually leads to verse 4, which is renewed cities, and that renewal goes right down to bricks and mortar. Like if it never touches bricks and mortar, then it isn't real. 
This is one of the reasons that revival culture in America is largely ineffective. Like we can have revivals that end up ruining the places where it starts and the people that hold the revival because they never had a verse 4 mindset. They thought that the point was just to heal the sick and to raise the dead, to cast out devils and to cleanse lepers. That's only the beginning. The end of revival culture is a renewed city. And if we don't have that as the end goal, then we'll be satisfied for healing a few sick bodies, preaching the gospel to a few unsaved people, and getting a few people healed of their emotional pasts. Which is great, I believe in that, but that's not the end goal, it's only the beginning. The end of this is a renewed cities. And so one of the things that we've been learning here at the Vineyard is that God is moving, not so much in here as He is out there. And by out there, I mean like literally out there. I'm not even metaphorically speaking here. We've been saying it for years, but it's actually true. It's literally in the streets. Now this weekend, some of you all probably saw on, on the Facebook uh, some of our good friends painted a new mural. I love this. Isn't that cool? The new mural on Main Street says, Central Kentucky is the future. And when these guys went out and painted this in our city, they painted something that declares life and hope, hope over our city and over our whole region. See, it takes a visionary, it takes a visionary, and this is why we want to talk about this for the next six weeks. It takes a visionary to see and believe that Central Kentucky is the future. Most people don't believe that in our community. You know what most people believe? Get the hell out. That's what most people believe. Like, if you can get out, do it. But what, we, what we're beginning to believe and what we're beginning to see is that Central Kentucky is the future. And by the way, this right here, this mural that was painted on the wall in Main Street, this is no less a work of the Spirit than preaching the gospel or healing the sick. In fact, what I believe is, I believe that this work of art is actually a subtle form of preaching the gospel in healing the sick. By the way, most people in Campbellsville don't want to hear me. And what I'm saying right now means nothing to them. But they cannot resist this. And by the way, we're, this wall and what I'm saying is the same thing. Furthermore, uh, most people in Campbellsville, I won't get a chance to lay hands on them and pray for them. To relieve them of their crazy pasts, their broken bodies, or um, just the oppression that comes on a life because life is complicated. Most, I won't get to do that. But there is a message that's going out right now that is actually healing broken minds of the disease that says Central Kentucky is a black hole, get out. There's a million ways to preach the gospel. This is one form this morning. This is a good form. I like it. It keeps me with a job. But it's not the only one, and we can't be satisfied with coming to church to hear me or anyone else for that matter. As John Wimber used to say, the meat is in the street. And we need visionaries to see that. We need visionaries to imagine a new city, to imagine things as they could be, but more importantly, we need visionaries who can imagine things as they should be. Here's a question. If you want to begin to take on a visionary role, if you don't feel like a visionary and you'd like to begin to apprehend some vision and begin to think of a new thing, uh, there's a really simple question that you can begin to meditate on that will lead you into vision. It's very simple. And the question is this, what's next? It, what's next is actually a profound kingdom thought. 
Have you ever spent any time in your whole life meditating on what's next? And I'm not talking about just for you and your life. You should meditate on that. But I'm talking about what's next in the biggest, most meta sense that you can possibly hold it in your mind and in your heart. What's next? Everybody in the room should begin to spend some time thinking about what's next. If you and I don't dream about what's next, we'll be living someone else's what's next. Nothing is static. To begin to engage the question, what's next, requires hope. It requires hope. It requires creativity. It requires renewal and rebuilding. And it also is going to bring about life. Now, I want you to consider something for a moment. Who in the universe is full of hope, creativity, renewal, and life? God. So when we begin to engage questions like, what's next? When we begin to give ourselves to what I call prophetic imagination, not just seeing things as they are, but seeing them as they could be, and more importantly, as they should be, when we begin to think along those lines, it's one of the main ways that you and I begin to engage and partner with God. Like we, have to, we, have to, we have to figure out concrete ways to begin to work with God. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot any longer be satisfied with talking about God in abstract forms. We have to figure out ways to bring uh, an unlimited, unseen, but very present God into concrete realities. And one of the main ways that we do this is a really simple question. What's next? What's next? Visionaries are people who are thinking about what's next. Visionaries are also people with justice running through their veins. And this is one of the areas that we really, really, really need the help of the Spirit. We need to be people who are not only imagining a new thing, but we need to be the people who are imagining the right thing. And this is one of the things I believe that God is inviting us into. Not just imagining a new thing, See, anybody with a little bit of an entrepreneurial spark can imagine a new thing. And anybody with a little bit of an entrepreneurial spark will imagine a new thing that ultimately becomes a blessing for them. But what God's asking us to do is, can you imagine a, good, a new thing that's a blessing for everybody? Um, one, of the, one of the business lessons that I learned from my dad when I was growing up, it was the business lesson he taught over and over again. It's very simple. Dad would always say, if it's not a good deal for everybody, it's not a good deal. That's actually a kingdom thought. See, in the business world, it doesn't matter if it's a good deal for anyone. It just matters, is it a good deal for me and can I get someone to agree to it? Really? Right? But that's not what God's asking us to do. God's asking us to begin to envision a new city, a new region, a new state, and He's asking us to do it with this thought in mind. How can we do it so it's good for everyone? How can, we, how can we bring about a city that's no longer robbing Peter to pay Paul? How can we bring about a city where systemic injustice gets called to account? And by the way, there is systemic injustice, even in Campbellsville. Where prosperity comes not, to only, not only to the motivated, but it brings healing for the broken and the unmotivated. See, a lot of times this is what we do. We, will, we, we think that prosperity is the birthright of the motivated. I'm here to tell you, that's not a kingdom mindset at all. It's a right-wing mindset, it's a Republican mindset, but it's not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven says, not only should the motivated prosper, but the ones who are broken and unmotivated, they should come under God's influence and get healed. And while they're getting healed, they should be cared for. 
how can we do this in such a way that's good for everybody? It's good for everybody. And by the way, vision alone will not bring the renewal. Now, I've just been talking for 15 minutes about how we need visionaries, and now I'm telling you that vision alone won't bring the renewal. That's why this series is called Visionary Leadership. We need visionaries. What we need is we need you to begin to get a vision for a new city, but we also need leaders. We need leadership. Having a vision is good, and having influence is good, but at some point, somebody has to be courageous enough to put it on the line. Somebody has to step out and take a risk. Renewal and risk always go hand in hand. Now, the first renewals um, in church history, the church history is filled with renewals. All these moves of the Spirit over and over again. And Kentucky has a rich heritage of renewal. It's really cool. And every time there's a renewal in the church, a renewal in the Spirit, it always comes because somebody became a risk taker in the area of who God was and what God was saying. But one of the things that I believe God is asking for right now is he's asking for some people to become bold enough to risk in the areas of business and government, hospitality, and organization. And those are, those are not the poor cousins to preaching and praying for the sick. Um, by the way, we need leadership and not just visionaries because it's never risky to have an idea. Having ideas is never, ever the risky thing. The risk part is always, always, always attached to implementation. And so what we need right now in Campbellsville is we need not only visionaries, but we need implementers. And when I talk about being an implementer, I'm not talking about being stupid either. Uh, So if you're on your last semester of college, I'm not saying quit. Don't quit. If you're on your last semester of college, don't quit. Don't say, I've got a vision from God and now I want to be an implementer. I'm going to quit my last semester of college and run after this. That's dumb. Don't do that. Or if you're seven and a half months pregnant, uh, don't go out and start a new business. <laughs> it may be a couple years before that happens. So we're not talking about being dumb, but what we are talking about is we're talking about being a bit courageous and realizing that uh, the time to do a new thing is never going to be the perfect time. We're not going to be stupid, but at the same time, we have to recognize there's never the perfect time to start and actually take a risk and do something. And if it isn't risky, it probably isn't the Lord. Like if your vision doesn't put something on the line, if there's not a chance that you're going to lose your reputation, if there's not a chance that people in town are going to think you're a bozo, if there's not a chance that you could lose your house, it's probably not God's vision. It's probably the one that's small enough for you to handle on your own. And God's calling us to step out to one step beyond and begin to move into a new thing. So what we need is we need men and women who are under the influence of hope and have the courage to do a new thing. By the, by the way, I want to talk about ideas just for a moment here. Because when we get vision for something, we end up having ideas. And this is a really important thing that I want to say this morning. Um, nobody owns ideas. This is such a big deal. No one owns ideas. If you're a visionary, you're going to have ideas. And even after you have the idea, you don't own it. Courageous leaders are often implementing ideas and things that they didn't first think of. Um, Furthermore, all of our ideas are complex formulations of things we've seen, experiences we've had, conversations with friends, and invitations from God. So no one's idea is, number one, truly original. 
It's original to you in the sense that you're a unique individual and you have a unique life experience. But even your own life experience is formulated by the community that you live in. Everyone's idea is shaped by the person sitting front, back, left, and right. It's not really your idea. It's our idea. This is why no one owns ideas. Uh, Secondly, courageous leaders are oftentimes the ones who are running with ideas they didn't first have. Why? Because the person who first had the idea either was unmotivated or too afraid to go and do it. So don't get mad if somebody goes out and starts doing your thing. That's really what I wanted to get to. We We don't own ideas. And so no one can get mad if someone else goes out and does your idea. Well, it's not your idea. It's our idea. And maybe you wouldn't have even had the idea if it wasn't for the fact that you live here in this place in this time with these people. No one has the right to put progress on hold for 10 years because they were afraid. It's not your thing until you do it. That's what I'm trying to say. It's absolutely not your thing until you do it. Until you do it, it's just a feather floating in the ether waiting for someone to grab it. Furthermore, when it comes to we don't own ideas, you and I need to understand that ideas are not rare. They're not rare. And that we're actually in communion with an unlimited God who has billions of ideas. So if you end up having a really great idea and someone does your idea. You don't have to be territorial about that. You don't have to get upset about that. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to bad talk them. You don't have to do any of that because the truth is there's a billion more ideas connected to a person. It just means you may have to go deal with God. There are billions of ideas that need to be dreamed. There are billions of turns that need to be made. There are billions of hopes that need, be, need to be brought to bear. There's an unlimited supply. There, this is something we really need to get a hold of as a dreaming culture and especially as an as a implementing culture. God is filled with billions of ideas. There is no shortage. If someone takes your best idea and goes and does it, big deal. Big deal. And by the way, you can't protect ideas either. If you want to keep having ideas, you have to talk about the ideas you have. If you try to harness an idea, keep it under wraps, hide it away, your idea reservoir will dry up. I don't know why that's true, but it absolutely is true. Ask any writer. Any writer knows that you can't set on a song, you can't set on a book, you can't set on a verse, you have to write it. You, and by the way, all creatives are afraid that our best work is behind us. It's not. It's in front of us because we're connected to an unlimited God. And we have to deal with these kinds of fears. Your best ideas are not behind you. They're not the ones you're sitting on right now. They're probably the ones you haven't had yet. And you just have to keep working through them. So we don't have to be anxious. For example, uh, how many Christians have had the idea of having a coffee shop? The answer is all of them. (laughs) The answer is all Christians have had the idea of having a coffee shop. Uh, How many are going to have it in this town? One. Why are Justin and Kendall going to have a coffee shop in Campbellsville? Because they were better? Maybe. But the main reason they're going to have it is because they were more courageous. That's why. Everybody's had the idea. It's not even an original idea. It's just that no one else was courageous enough to go and do it. You don't own ideas until you do them. We have to get a hold of this. Amen? By the way, I'm really glad they're coming in. I can't wait. I'm I'm working on I'm going to ask Justin if we can work on some sort of thing where you get cold brew just put into your main we're just going to start mainlining cold brew. 
Here's a great idea. Mainlining cold brew and hitting punching bags. See, Campbellsville is in need of more than one shop. The possibilities for what God wants to do are quite a bit deeper and wider than most people have considered. And what really is lacking is not ideas. What's lacking is courage. We need courage. We need courage to try something. We need visionaries to see right things, but we also need willing leaders who are, who are willing to go first. So much of leadership is not about being the smartest or having the best idea. It's about being willing to go first. Leaders are always the ones who go first. Always the ones who go first. I'll tell you a, a couple stories here real quick. A couple years ago, I had a dream. And, and I don't have dreams. When I go to sleep at night, it's just black. It's like head hits the pillow, and then I wake up the next morning. But occasionally I have dreams, and sometimes when I have dreams, they're from the Lord. Usually if I have a dream, it's really important, and I need to pay attention to it. Well, two years ago, I had a dream. It was really brief. And in the dream, Daniel Boone came to me. And he didn't even have on a coonskin hat. Short little fellow, pretty good looking guy. Bit of a Tom Cruise about him. <laughs> anyway, Daniel Boone comes to me and he says, Adam, you should go back to the forest because the frontier is still alive. And then the dream was over. And this dream just hung with me. I couldn't shake it. I ended up writing a bunch of songs about it. But I couldn't shake it. And after I couldn't shake it for a few days, I realized that that wasn't Daniel Boone who came to me in the dream. It was actually the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit will come to you and he looks like another person. And I realized that I, and by extension, us, I realized that we were being invited by the Holy Spirit to come out and to pioneer a new kind of life. You know, one of the reasons I believe that so many people are depressed I believe that so many people in America are depressed, especially men. I believe that so many men in America are depressed because they believe that the frontier is dead. There's nothing left that's new. It's a lie, but I believe, it, it, and most men have never even articulated this. But as I've hung out with guys for the last couple of years and had little chats about this and that, one of the things I've, I've picked up on is in men in particular, there is a profound sadness that has touched America. And it's the sadness that is being generated and it grows from a lie. And the lie is there's no frontiers left. Truth is, there's all kinds of frontiers left. You just have to be willing to live in a log cabin. And one of the things we need right now is we need visionaries who can see the right things, but we also need willing leaders who are who are willing to go first. You know what happens when you go first? You live in log cabins. First people in Kentucky, they lived in log cabins. You and I, we all live in like brick houses with uh, two and a half bathrooms, a dog and central air and internet that has no wires and a TV that is everywhere. And the first guys who came to our state lived in log cabins. And what I feel like the Lord is saying is, I'm looking for some people 
who are willing to see a new thing and go out and do at least the log cabin version of it first. By the way, the thing that you have in your head will be the five-bedroom brick home with three-and-a-half baths that's central heat and air with a pool and a sauna in the basement and uh, 14 TVs and a three-car garage. But the beginning of that house is a log cabin. See, God's looking for pioneers. Campbellsville has not yet escaped the log cabin existence. God's going to give people vision, and he's going to give you a a vision of a brick mansion, but we are going to have to work through our log cabin years, and we have not yet done it. There's a frontier in Campbellsville that's still alive. And so because of that, we're going to spend about six weeks looking at visionary leadership, and we're going to look at the life of Moses. And there's some reasons why we're going to look at Moses. The main reason we're going to look at Moses is because Moses had to see things and he he had to see a kind of life that no one alive in his day could have possibly imagined, not even the Hebrew slaves that he was called to set free. See, when God comes to Moses and says, hey, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses had an encounter with the Lord there. And I believe that it was a moment, but I believe that moment was more than just the burning bush moment. I believe that Moses probably had months, if not years, trying to figure out what that was and whether or not he believed God in that moment. One of the things that we don't understand is oftentimes the Bible is condensed down into these highly concentrated forms when what we're actually getting is uh, we're getting the distillations of lifetimes. God, Moses had to begin to awaken to a reality and to a picture of the world that no one alive could have imagined, which was that there wouldn't be slavery in Egypt and that those people were going to be set free and they were going to have their own land. No one believed that. This is why we're going to look at Moses, because he was actually the first one awake to something that no one believed. If you think about his life, it's unbelievable. Secondly, secondly, Moses' story is filled with the impossible. And this is the sort of thing that God is asking us to do and to be here in Campbellsville, to imagine alternate realities that seem, at the current moment, totally impossible. Here's an alternate reality in Campbellsville that seems impossible, but I believe God wants to do it. Uh, I have a picture of Campbellsville where people don't take prescription drugs and get bombed out of their minds and let their kids eat Doritos all day. For real. Uh, Most of of, uh, the drugged-out people that I meet in my time as a pastor... uh, is happening because people have prescription pain uh, meds and they're just getting blasted. There's probably even a person or two in the room right now who's totally and completely addicted to prescription pain pills and maybe you're masking it pretty good, but you're slowly degenerating and your family knows it and your kids are suffering. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a picture of that in my mind. And at the, on the surface, it seems totally impossible. And I don't even know where to go with that. We need people who are waking up to realities that seem impossible. And because of that, we're going to look at Moses' story. Um, most people in the room know that Moses was a visionary and he was a leader. But there, along the way, there were so many transitions that he had to navigate. And many of them were actually internal. We don't see them as internal, but they were actually internal. Um, when we begin to affect change in the world, the first place that change has to happen is in us. Uh, Moses made so many transitions. Uh, first of all, he had to overcome the Pharaoh's edict that all the Hebrew boys be killed. That was by God's design. 
Then later he had to overcome his own privilege and see that his people were being harmed. You understand that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house and he grew up extremely rich, extremely cared for, had it all together. And he had to wake up to the fact that he was sitting in a place of privilege and God was asking him to step out of that place and to go identify with his actual own people who were the slaves. How many of you understand that when when you're privileged in any area, it's a blind spot to people who are not privileged? You can't be a visionary leader until you become, like we were talking about last week, a self-reflective, self-aware person who realizes that the world is more complex than just my own perception of it. Um, uh, Privilege, uh, position, money, and influence, those are all great, and they're all blinders. And we need to wake up. Uh, Also, Moses had to overcome his own stuttering problem. Some of us feel like, you know what, I can't ever do what God's asking me to do because I've got this list. Like, you know, I don't, I don't speak real well. I'm not highly educated. And we, we write the list out. And God just continues to show us through a person like Moses that your list doesn't matter to him. There's a lot to identify with. Maybe you don't have a long beard or bushy eyebrows. But there's probably a few Moses parallels in your life. And we're going to discover those. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we're going, to, we're going to take some time to begin to dream again. And not only dream again, but to take a few steps. And this is the thing that the Lord's asking us to do. We've been dreaming for a few years, and a handful of people in this church have taken a few steps. But what I want to see is I want to see the whole community take a few steps. Not just to have a dream, but to take some steps. Uh, the steps that you might need to take might, be really, might seem really... Uh, benign, but they're not. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is get some more education, or maybe you will. Maybe you need to be uh, willing to handle the small version of your dream first. Most people never do the big version of their dream because they were unwilling to handle the small version of their dream. They were unwilling to live in the log cabin. Um, most artists never do a work that affects uh, national audiences or is critically acclaimed because. They were unwilling to be an unknown, an unknown, overlooked artist. And so they just gave up. Like most painters don't paint because they started painting and their painting suck. And no one thought they were great. And they never worked through that. And we're going we're gonna to learn how to work through some of that stuff. Uh, we can't be afraid of the prototype. This is something we need to just keep, keep saying over and over ourselves. Uh, I will not be afraid of the po- prototype. I will not be ashamed of the prototype. I will not despise the log cabin. I will not despise the log cabin uh, because it's the small version that teaches us to steer the big version. And it's critically important that you and I uh, become dreamers who begin to take moves and make moves into becoming shapers. Dreamers are always shapers. And if you want to live in a reality that you helped create, the door is wide open in our region. The door is wide open. Everybody in the room can be a dreamer and a shaper, or you can be a passive floater. And by the way, if you're a passive floater, you're not going to hell. You won't even be a second-class citizen in heaven. Jesus still loves you. It's all good. But one of the things that I'm hoping we can do is, I'm hoping that we can, we can recognize that nothing in the world is static. And because of that... Forces are always at work giving form and shape. And either you and I can become dreamers and bring heaven to earth, 
or we can or we can remain static floaters and live in the hell that someone else creates. One of the reasons that hell is so so prevalent in central Kentucky is because no one in the church has dreamed of heaven yet. Few people have dreamed it, but few people have had the courage to show Campbellsville the log version of hell, of heaven rather. We've been living in someone else's someone else's hell. So the question I keep hearing in my brain anyway for the last few weeks is this. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when? That's the stuff I keep hearing over and over. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? And if you want to get a head start on next week, you can read the first two chapters of Exodus. Homework. There's going to be a pop quiz. Great. Why don't the rest of you all stand up? I want to pray for you. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for everybody who's here. God, I ask that you would that you would make us all visionaries. God, to the extent that hopelessness has gripped our mind and caused us to be disengaged, passive floaters. God, to, to the extent that, that we have become simply uh, little feathers being blown about in someone else's imagination. God, I ask that you would give us a dream and a vision. Furthermore, God, I ask that you would impart to us courage. Divine courage to begin to do a new thing. To begin to do a new thing. To begin to do a new thing. Father, I ask that you would show us the context of the influence that you've given us and that you would show us the next steps for being a leader. God, for those of us at the back or the bottom, I ask that you would give us hope, that you would show us how to begin to uh, love and, and affect the caboose with your goodness. God, we also ask for just straight up crazy dreams and visions. God, we ask for help from the Holy Spirit. God, would you speak to us? We ask for divine appointments. We ask for increased favor. God, we ask for an increased ability to uh, steer and manage our own life. God, would you impart to us self-control? God, we, we, just, we just say even now this morning that we love the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. And we don't think it's a small thing. We think it's great. And Father, we ask that we, along with a lot of other people in Campbellsville, could be on your team to make Central Kentucky the future. Not just in small areas either, Lord, but in huge areas. Father, we ask for a renewable energy in our city. We ask for crazy stuff to begin to happen. God, we ask for scientists, innovators, artists, musicians, people with profound gifts of hospitality to take up root and to show the, the entire state a new way of being. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything this morning, sick in your body, or you just need somebody to stand with you, you come on up. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Happy Sunday.